Hi everybody, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is Prophecy Today weekend. And Rick, last Thursday, Russia launched its invasion. We've been talking about it for weeks now. They launched it by land, air, and sea following a declaration of war by President Vladimir Putin in the biggest attack on the European state since World War II. Wow, we're here. We are, and and it's been a devastating attack. It's been uh, obviously terrible for the people of Ukraine. And then you start to look at it and you see the ripple effects going out all across Europe, the Middle East, here in the United States. uh, There's so many different facets and so many different sides to what's taking place, both politically and prophetically. You know, Rick, on our program, you are the our, our news desk, uh, really our news editor. You, you kind of talk to all the guys. What was your thoughts uh, in putting together today's program? I mean, it's exciting when we look at Bible prophecy, but here all the pieces are falling into place. Well, I, like many of our listeners, have been watching the news and, and watching for reports, seeing the updates on your phone and different things like that. And I just kept on thinking, all right, I'm going to have to ask. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask our broadcast partners on this. This is going to be something I'm going to discuss with Jimmy because but so many things are taking place right now. Um, and, you know, we, we, we know there's some ramifications for those that are in this situation presently, but there's so many things that domino effects, things that could happen because of what's taking place. And, and that's what we want to look at. Yes, and let's keep in mind, I mean, you've got the people of Ukraine uh, that are at the mercy of Russia, who is trying to reestablish itself basically back to the borders of the Soviet Union, the mighty Soviet Union. And not only that, but you have the Christian believers in this country, and it could spread to Europe. And that's what we're going to investigate on today's program as we get going and our first interview is Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, who predicted all of this all the way back in late November. Colonel Bob McGinnis joins us today. He's a man with a long history in the U.S. military and still works in a contract capacity for the Pentagon. He's also a much-in-demand person right now on media outlets all across the country as this Ukraine crisis comes to a head. Thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Well, on this very program, at the end of last year, Bob, you predicted that this would happen in this past week. As you, as everybody listening knows, Russia did invade Ukraine. Can you tell us what you're hearing about what's going on on the ground right now? Yes. You know, obviously diplomacy failed, and we're experiencing the most significant European war in almost 80 years since the World War II. Um, now, there have been you know, initially three axes of assault by the Russians uh, from the north, uh, east, and south. Uh, we have seen airfields struck. We have seen air defense ar- artillery inside Ukraine that has been destroyed. Uh, we ha- it's obvious that uh, Mr. Putin has every intention of uh, decapitating the government in Kiev. Uh, and, of course, you know, it's hard to know exactly how long this will lack, uh, last. Uh, we see a mass migration out of the country. Uh, intense firing uh, by the Ukraine. Ukrainian army has really increased. They are far more capable than they were the last time Russia invaded back in 2014 and and then annexed uh, Crimea. Um, Putin, of course, uh, is sending all sorts of signals. Uh, You know, right before the launch of operations, he called this a special military operation. Uh, 
Uh, and of course, uh, the goal, as I indicated, is decapitation, but it's also uh, to demilitarize. In other words, do away with the armed forces of Ukraine, as well as what he calls denazify. And basically, that's the elimination of the current government under Zelensky. We believe that Ukraine will fight on, uh, that uh, NATO has made every effort to uh, arm it here recently. They do have fairly sophisticated weaponry, uh, but there have been flare-ups across the entire country. Special operations, Spetsnaz, have gone into the cities. They've seized military facilities. Airborne forces seized uh, the airfield outside of Kiev and will likely begin to flow in there uh, massive numbers of troops as well as equipment. NATO's response will, of course, be to uh, assist uh, Poland, Romania, and the Baltic countries to stand fast uh, should Mr. Putin uh, aggress further to the west. Uh, They will, in fact, help with the migration of people fleeing, and their estimates up to 5 million of the 40 or so million Ukrainians will seek refuge uh, in places like Poland and Romania. Uh, the U.S. and the NATO allies will use all their means of intelligence operations and in providing uh, that to the Zelensky government and to their armed forces uh, without actually going into the country as uh, the leadership has already indicated that they wouldn't do. Uh, I would expect that there'll be electronic warfare, there'll be cyber attacks, and to include against the U.S., Uh, Further, I would anticipate there will be something like a Berlin airlift uh, of supplies into Poland, and then uh, they will then be transported by Ukrainian forces uh, as needed into the country. So there are a host of things going on, complex scenario. Things could change rapidly, as inevitably they will, as Eisenhower said. Uh, Plans are only good until the, the first shot has taken place. Well, you've been saying also on this program that we are in a new Cold War, similar to what we had with the Soviet Union, just some different actors and some additional actors. Is this the first kind of hot outbreak of that Cold War? Well, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and you're right. Uh, my 2018 book, Alliance of Evil, you know, said we are in a new Cold War, and I gave 16 indicators of that. And every one of those indicators are, are burning hot today. Uh, so, yes, uh, this... Even though the the West is going to use sanctions and they'll try to cut off the Russians, I think that the alliance that was struck between uh, Moscow and Beijing on the 4th of February of this year with the 5,000-word joint communique issued by Putin and Xi uh, will give Mr. Putin the encouragement and the support that he needs uh, to stand up against these sanctions. Uh, Clearly, going after a bunch of banks, going after... Uh, a, a lot of oligarchs inside Russia uh, and individuals and going after the SWIFT uh, mechanism to be able to, to seek finance and to uh, do transactions abroad, uh, that will be circumvented, I believe, through proxy there in Beijing. So uh, I don't think it's going to hurt nearly as much as uh, the likes of Mr. Biden and others in the West have uh, contended. There are some that have talked about this, maybe not about territorial expansion in the Ukraine, but 
really basically a shot across the bow to the United States, maybe saying we are a superpower and maybe take advantage of perceived weakness. Do you think there's validity to that thought? Well, there's no doubt that it's based upon perceived weakness by the Biden administration. I have little doubt that should Mr. Trump have stayed in the White House that what we're talking about today would not have happened. Um, I would certainly, you know, encourage people to read what I put on Fox News earlier in the week, uh, a long op-ed that outlined uh, not only our interests, but longer term what the strategic interests are of the United States. And, and that's really the formation of a new world order. Uh, that's what Vladimir Putin wants, and there's no question, uh, because Mr. Xi has said precisely the same thing. And so their alliance uh, is intending to restructure uh, how things are done in the world. It would become more authoritarian, and we would begin to see the dismissal of a lot of liberal ideas that uh, came out of World War II and a lot of these international organizations that stand up for human rights. Um, we're at a very uh, decisive point, I think, going forward, uh, and a lot depends upon how the West responds. For those that are interested in that article, if you go to our website at prophecytoday.com, we will link to that article on Fox News that Colonel Bob McGinnis did. Well, my final question, and you kind of just touched on it again, but what is China going to do? I do, and like I said, you kind of just mentioned it, but I've heard that they're not going to join in the sanctions, and it's, it's almost like they're in cahoots. Well, they are collaborating with Russia, uh, and you know, President Xi made statements to that effect that he supports what Putin is doing uh, in Ukraine, because he believes Ukraine is part of uh, the greater Russia. And you know, for that most part, I think that any country that was in the former Soviet Union's Warsaw Pact uh, feels vulnerable. That's why the you know, reinforcements went to the Baltics all the way down to the Bulgaria. And so when you consider that, you also have to consider that and China is a hegemonic nation. It looks at Taiwan as uh, a vulnerable uh, country for the taking, uh, something that you know has been tossed back and forth between Japan uh, and China for, for many years. And, of course, in 1949, when the communists took over the regime in Beijing, uh, the KMT uh, – under Chiang Kai-shek, uh, fled to Taiwan, Formosa at the time, and you know, established a democratic rule. Well, uh, President Xi promised and consistently promises the number one priority he has geopolitically is retaking uh, Taiwan, putting it under uh, the control of the Beijing uh, tyrant. And uh, that's precisely what they'll do. Much like we've seen what they've done to Hong Kong, which is essentially that, uh, how they treat their people, uh, the Uyghurs, uh, the Christians, and you know, Falun Gong and so forth. Uh, they'll do that sort of thing, and they'll do it quickly uh, now that uh, they see, him, see that Putin can have his way in Ukraine, and there's no reason that Xi can't have his way in Taiwan. Well, Colonel Bob McGinnis, uh, both of these actors are very concerning, both Russia and China. We thank you for shedding some light on the subject and taking time out of your busy day to inform our listeners. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, what insight that he has from a position in the Pentagon. And we will put his story up on our website so that you can go to it and find out uh, his latest uh, opinion piece as far as what Russia will do next. we got to take a break, and when we come back, Prophecy Today weekend continues with Ken Timmerman.
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Early Thursday morning, Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Air raid sirens sounded in the capital, Kiev. Civilians sheltered in basements and subway stations amid missile strikes from both land and from ships in the Black Sea. Russian forces surround Ukraine on three sides. Frank Stevenson with Transworld Radio says, We really haven't had this kind of um, conflict or, or threat um, uh, yeah, in generations. So many people are praying, and it's good that we continue to pray for the situation. Prayer is not just some hopeful words, but it's also we talk to the Almighty God, and and He is ultimately the Alpha and Omega, the one in control. TWR contacts in Ukraine are safe, and they still have open communication. But U.S. officials say this is only the first step in the invasion. Join believers all around the world as they cry out against this violence. A contact in Ukraine told Stevenson, prayer is stronger than rockets. And doctors serving the Lord in local communities in Eswatini have a problem. Helen Williams of World Missionary Press says a doctor who runs mobile medical clinics wrote this in her latest update. In early 2021, the government of Eswatini asked us to play a major role in the COVID vaccination program. We've been working in high volume. Recently, the team sent a message that we were completely out of WMP booklets. This believer and her husband are both doctors, and they've been partnering with WMP since 2006. They give WMP scripture booklets or Bible studies to every patient they see. Their last order contained nearly a million booklets. We've been so occupied this year taking care of critical care COVID patients, building an oxygen plant, and deeply serving during a very difficult season. Please do what you can. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. MNN depends on you, our listener, for support to keep bringing you the news and help you identify ways to find your place in the story of the Great Commission. Would you consider joining us today? Look for the links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, Rick, you know, it's not just the Ukraine right now that could be at play here. Uh, But we are looking at the rest of Europe. And when we look at that, there are many other countries that are probably fearing about what's going to take place in the future. Yeah, we're soon going to talk with Ken Timmerman uh, about geopolitical events that are taking place. Geopolitical just means uh, relating to international politics. And these players that are on the scene right now, they are all players that are uh, very much involved so in what's taking place in the world right now and also, the Bible says, involved in the future. Well, Ken Timmerman is certainly poised to answer these questions for us, so let's go to Ken Timmerman. I'm sure many of our regular listeners are very eager to hear what Ken's take is on this world situation, because he's focusing on geopolitical events for us. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Rick. Uh, These are indeed very interesting times. I heard a comment on the news, I think, earlier today, and there was an opinion piece, and they were talking about the geopolitical chessboard, and I thought that was an interesting term. We've heard all the updates about what's taking place, so I want to look kind of more into a deeper perspective and look at the geopolitical chessboard in the world right now and how this invasion in Ukraine changes that. That's a very good question, and I think the short answer is it doesn't really change it that much. Uh, But let me, before I get there, let me just point out something I think most of our uh, uh, listeners understand already. Vladimir Putin comes from a nation of chess players, and Russia has given us uh, international chess masters, and he's somebody that has gained this out ahead of time. He, Mm. He was able to gain out 
U.S. responses. He knew the sanctions that Biden was preparing. He knew the sanctions that the Europeans were preparing, uh, and he knew that they weren't going to be terribly strong. And he had already, before this actual invasion, had prepositioned himself with strengthened oil ties and economic ties with China in particular, uh, with China and also with Iran and other rogue nations. So uh, he has been able to, by foreseeing what our response would be, to limit the impact of U.S. sanctions. Now, there is a bigger question in terms of the geopolitical chessboard in Europe itself, which is the aftermath of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union. We've heard for many years now that uh, Vladimir Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union, or at least parts of it. He would like to see a greater Russia. He has said repeatedly that he thinks the collapse of the Soviet Union was the biggest tragedy he has witnessed in his lifetime, uh, and that he would like to reverse it as much as possible. Now, obviously, we believe in the West that the collapse of the Soviet Union was a very beneficial thing. It ended uh, the Cold War tensions of over 40 years, where two nuclear superpowers were poised at each other's jugulars, where attention was focused on the fold gap in Germany, where we expected, NATO expected a massive Soviet tank onslaught into the Central European heartland. Obviously, it never happened because of the nuclear standoff. Uh, who would have thought we would be looking back to the Cold War as the bad old days, right? Uh, when when we had a certain amount of geopolitical stability where the United States and the Soviet Union fought proxy wars in Vietnam, in Angola, in Afghanistan and other places. But that's what happened during the Cold War. Today, we're still fighting proxy wars. I would argue that those wars are in Yemen, in Syria, in Libya beforehand uh, and perhaps eventually in Venezuela as well. More on that in a second, uh, especially with the Iranian connection there. But we are still fighting proxy wars, but now we are in a direct confrontation, a head-to-head -head confrontation. And the geopolitical question here, Rick, and it is a serious one and a legitimate one, is does NATO need a buffer zone between NATO and Russia? Do we need Ukraine and Belarus as a kind of neutralized Finland standing between the two blocks or can we live with a direct line of confrontation, a border of confrontation directly with Russia? That, I think, is the big question that everybody is facing today. And by the way, nobody really wants to talk about. Well, that leads to my exactly to my next question. I initially thought, or at least my perspective, was that Putin would be happy with just the eastern regions, the highly ethnically Russian regions, and that's what he was angling for. And maybe it still is. But are, are you thinking that he may now go into Kiev? Are you thinking that he's actually looking at taking over all of Ukraine? What's his end goal? Well, uh, we had reports on Friday that Russian troops were on the outskirts of Kiev, and uh, that was... I think a bit surprising to the U.S. and to the Europeans who thought, as you just uh, explained, that he would stop with the eastern regions. OK, he's going to do a pull of Sudetenland and say they're ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. We have to recognize their desire for independence or to unite with Mother Russia. No, he is going, I think, for the buffer zone. And I think that's what his goal is. He's going to occupy that buffer zone and put himself on a direct line of confrontation with Europe, it will uh, keep us on our toes, so to speak. And his ultimate goal, and this is something I wrote about in the uh, cover story I did for Newsmax magazine in December on Putin, called Putin's War on the West, by the way. 
His ultimate goal is to divide the NATO alliance, to shatter, if possible, the NATO alliance. And as we saw with these sanctions ordered by the Europeans on Thursday night, Friday morning, he's doing pretty well at that. Those sanctions fall way, way short of what the U.S. has been hoping for. Well, what are you looking for right now? I mean, are there markers, are there indicators uh, of what's going to take place? I mean, is this going to be an expansion that continues on through all of Ukraine and maybe even into uh, farther west into Europe? Uh, what What are some indicators that we're looking at or that we need to look at right now that will let us know maybe what's going to take place to hopefully end this current crisis? Well, I think the red line is Poland. Uh, the red line is Poland, uh, and, 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 and the Baltic states are the big question mark. Uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, those three tiny Baltic states that Putin is also claiming as part of Mother Russia. But Poland is the red line. Uh, Poland is a NATO member. The Baltic states are too, but Poland is right there directly on the front lines with a uh, Russian-occupied Ukraine. You know, you had President Macron of France saying on Thursday that France will respond without weakness to Russia's active war in Ukraine. And I love this one. He said, we're going to respond without weakness, with cold blood, determination and unity. This is what Macron said. Well, I say to this, yeah, sure, with cold blood, it's more like a cold etouffee of sanctions that Putin will feed to his dogs. Because that's all that we got out of the Europeans on Thursday night and Friday morning were sanctions that backed off from doing anything really serious, you should see the exception list. They, for example, have made an exception to Italian luxury goods so that Putin's oligarchs can continue buying Gucci loafers. That's going to be, a, that kind of trade will still be allowed. They made an, an exception to Russian oil and gas exports. Uh, guess what? The Europeans don't want to turn up the heat on Putin because that means turning down the heat in their own homes. How is this going to spread out and how is the rest of the world going to look at this, Ken? I mean, especially, and I'm looking towards China, but also looking towards the Middle East. How is this going to play out there? Well, you know, it's become commonplace to say that every president gets challenged in his first couple of months or most his first year. Biden is now facing his third big challenge and he's failing them. He's failing them one after the other. And as our enemies and adversaries see this failure of American leadership, they are emboldened. I expect that the Iranians are going to press uh, forward with their nuclear weapons program. We may have an Iran deal in a couple of weeks or a month, but the Iranians are actually kind of backing away from that. You know, you know the Americans are pressing it now. Kerry is all for it. Uh, the Biden White House is all for it. The Europeans want it. But the Iranians are saying, we're not sure we really want this because uh, there, you can give us no guarantees that a President Trump who returns to office uh, after the 2024 elections is not going to uh, cancel it a second time. So um, I think this is emboldening, uh, emboldening the Iranians. It's uh, emboldening the North Koreans who have been testing missiles uh, recently. And here, here's one for you that nobody is talking about today. Uh, here in the United States, is Venezuela. We've forgotten Venezuela. The Israeli defense minister, Benny Gantz, told a group of visiting American Jewish leaders just this week, uh, it was from the Council of Presidents of major Jewish organizations. I know many of the people involved in this. And he showed them video and still photographs of Iranian drones, the Mahajir 6 drone, which is a very large uh, attack drone in Venezuela. 
And he said that the Iranians had also delivered to them precision-guided munitions that they have been using with the Houthi rebels to attack oil fields in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Now, gee, what would Venezuela be doing with drones and precision-guided munitions? It's just across the Caribbean from us. So many, so many different facets to this whole situation. And Ken, I, I'm always impressed by your grasp of this whole situation and your ability to break things down and give it back to us in a way that we can understand. Thank you for doing that. And I'm sure we'll be calling on you again in the coming weeks. Well, absolutely, Rick. It's a pleasure. And we haven't even scratched. We didn't even talk about China this week. And this is also emboldening communist China. Believe it. Well, we will continue to talk about that. and We'll continue to keep an eye on it. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but we're going to come back with our Middle East news expert, Dave Dolan, and we're going to see how this situation in Ukraine is affecting the Middle East. That's right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio, and on this day we are especially focusing on what's taking place in Ukraine. It's the events that have dominated world news and justifiably so many people are concerned. Uh, We've talked with Bob McGinnis already and we've also talked with Ken Timmerman. Uh, Now we have our regularly scheduled guest Dave Dolan with us and he's our Middle East news expert and he's the one that typically comments on what's taking place in the Middle East in general and Israel in particular. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Dave, my first question uh, is just an, an overall general question. How is this playing out in Israel with the Israeli leaders, the Israeli politicians, and, and also the Israeli public? Well, Rick, uh, it first should be pointed out that uh, Ukraine has a lot of emotional sentiment uh, for uh, the Jewish people who've uh, uh, come from Europe and Russia and, and that sort of thing. So the Ashkenazi Jews in particular. Of course, the uh, famous uh, play and movie Fiddler on the Roof was set in a village in western Ukraine. It was a a made-up village, although now there is actually an Anastasia there that has Jews living in it. That's a fairly recent development, but the pale was there, the famous pale where the Jews of the Russian Empire had to live in the days of the Tsars from the late 1700s on until World War I in uh, fenced-off areas. Uh, Pale actually means a fence, uh, special areas, especially in Ukraine. 
And a lot of uh, Israelis today have their roots in Ukraine or Russia or Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland. These are all areas, uh, heavily uh, Jewish populated areas. They were, of course, after World War II, most of the Jews in the area were killed. But there's still maybe 200,000 Jews living in Ukraine. There's a hope that they can bring many of those to Israel. Uh, the efforts to uh, do that are being stepped up by the Israeli government. Well, it does make sense that small Israel there in the Middle East does not want to poke the bear when it comes to Russia, not only because they don't want to necessarily fight that battle, and, and it it's probably not their battle to fight at this time. I think that there's other people that should be carrying the uh, the heavy lifting here. But also, there are many Jews uh, still left, not only in Ukraine, but especially in Russia, correct? Yes. Between the two countries, Rick, uh, there may be up to a million, although officially they say half a million. But there are, you know, a lot of people out there, especially in Russia, such a large country that uh, don't necessarily identify themselves as Jewish, but are Jewish. You talk about uh, their partners. Uh, many of them are married to non-Jews. And we're talking about well over a million people that would be eligible to move to Israel. Of course, we had in the 1990s the huge Aliyah from uh, the former Soviet Union, uh, also Ukraine, Georgia, that the Russians took over a few years ago in the southern part of that area, in eastern Russia, all over the place. So uh, a lot of historic ties, a lot of political ties. No, Israel doesn't see themselves getting into this in any military way or in anything like that. Uh, both sides are friends of theirs, but they're certainly concerned with the statements coming out from um, Moscow, uh, Putin's projection of the Ukrainians as, as some sort of Nazis. Of course, the president, Zelensky, is Jewish. He pointed out that in a speech on Thursday that his grandfather fought in the Russian army, and uh, that, that as Jews, they were the targets of the Nazis. They're certainly not promoting some sort of a Nazi government, as Putin is alleging. So they're very disturbed. It's, it's very emotional. And the people of Israel are watching it very, very closely. And of course, the fact is that Iran is closely allied with Putin. So there's another factor there, uh, Rick. So it's uh, something they're watching very closely. Somewhat further complicating that relationship between uh, Syria and Israel and Russia is the fact that Russia took issue with uh, Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights and Jerusalem, but especially over the Golan Heights, and especially considering that Russia has a presence in Syria. That's, a, that's kind of an interesting complication there, isn't it? Well, it is, Rick. And I mean, you know, there is an alliance between Israel and Russia, but it is a tactical one at best. There's certainly not many shared values with the Putin regime. Of course, uh, 20 years ago, it looked like Putin might be more liberal and might, you know, modernize the country and really allow it to basically turn into a democracy. Instead, over the past 10 years, he's taken it ever, ever more closely down the road of dictatorship and uh, the methods of things he says the things he's doing elsewhere, his alliance with China, all of these things are definitely not in Israel's interest. 
And uh, we talked last week that the U.S. and Israel don't always share the same points of view, uh, two separate countries, close allies, but two separate countries. But America is indeed, in every sense, an ally of Israel, politically, socially, emotionally, the freedom of religion, the uh, different items that we don't see shared with Russia. So, you know, that is the case. And they definitely want to see Israel out of Judea and Samaria. They definitely, I'm talking about Russia, they definitely want to see the Golan go back to Syria. And they want, as I said earlier, the Israelis to stop flying, uh, you know, action into Syria to go against Iranian targets there. So we'll see what happens. But it's it's a relationship that we know, you and I know from the scriptures, will end with a Russian invasion into Israel at some point. So whether that's under Putin or not, time will tell. But that's the ultimate way this is heading. And uh, those that know the Bible, and that's a lot of Israelis, they read Ezekiel too, and these other prophets, they know that this will come at some point. Well, that's true, David, and we do know that Russia has a role to play in the end times, and and many things that are taking place, as we always say on this program, are setting the stage for that to be fulfilled. Well, uh, along with that same passage in Ezekiel, we look at Iran, and that's my final question for you. We have kind of put them on the back burner now. Iran has got a role to play in Bible prophecy, and it's playing a role on world politics right now. And you look at the situation uh, with the negotiations for the revival of that Iran nuclear deal. Some would consider that uh, an ill-fated plan to revive that. Uh, I probably would be in that camp as well. But what's taking place there? Uh, How is that coming together? And what can we expect to see in the coming days and weeks? Well, Rick, we haven't had any official announcements yet, but the media in Vienna is reporting that an agreement is at hand. Probably within a couple weeks, a new accord will be signed between the U.S. and the other partners to that treaty uh, that uh, was originally founded in 2015. And the Israelis are being a lot quieter than Netanyahu was when he was prime minister. Naftali Bennett hasn't said much publicly. Foreign Minister Lapid hasn't said much. And Benny Gantz hasn't said much. But the Israeli press is reporting that they're very upset with this accord, that it's even worse, they believe, than the original one was. And the worst thing, Rick, is that it will free up hundreds of millions of dollars, actually several billion dollars in money that was frozen by President Trump, it will be going back to Iran and they'll be able to use that in their activities. Their activities, for the most part, are supporting, you know, uh, Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad and Hamas and the Houthis in Yemen and the forces in Iraq. Uh, So this is definitely a negative development for Israel. And it doesn't really, they're saying, stop the program. They continue to have their centrifuges in place. They continue to be able to restart it uh, at a drop of a dime. And, uh, you know, they've already been enriching uranium way beyond the limits of the first treaty. So they have that in stockpile. And according to the press reports, they won't be uh, asked to destroy that. So The Israelis are distressed, but the officials are being fairly quiet this time about it. 
All of these issues are very concerning. And even though Iran is kind of on a back burner right now, it is not something to be taken lightly, this deal. And we need to keep an eye on that, as well as keep an eye on Ukraine and Israel and the Middle East there. And so we thank you so much for helping us do that with our listeners. You provide very valuable insight. So thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, Rick. God bless. Winky Madad joins us today. He's a regular broadcast partner with us here on Prophecy Today. He's an expert on all things involving Israel, Israeli politics, uh, Jewish history, Jewish culture, uh, former mayor of Shiloh, and just a great contributor to the program. Winky, thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. Thank you very much for having me on and allowing me to talk to your wide-reaching audience. Well, Winky, as I'm sure you know, uh, the program today is dominated by what's taking place in Ukraine with the Russian invasion. And I wanted to get a little background and look at this situation from a slightly different perspective. I, I wanted to start off by just basically asking you, and I know you're, you are definitely a historian and you have a unique perspective. What is the general history of Ukraine as it relates to Israel and the Jewish people? Well, Jewish history and Ukraine goes back to the 11th century. Probably hmm. Jews coming from the area of what we call Turkey today, Anatolia, Turkey, etc., were moving north. And they settled in Kiev in the 11th century. By the way, just as an item, Kiev existed several hundred years before Moscow was founded. In other words, the what we call the Rus, from which, of course, Russian comes from, was actually much further south than what we now consider Russia, you know, St. Petersburg, Moscow, and, and things of that. It was, it was much different then. Jews, of course, uh, were merchants and, and moved all over the place, but we have a very checkered history with Ukraine. Ask any Jew who comes from Eastern Europe, and the first word that pops into their mind from the historical point of view, from their grandparents or reading, is pogrom, which is the word for a mass attack, usually not only by military forces, but by bands of bandits and, uh, and other people who band together and fell upon the Jews, most uh, importantly for a uh, historical point of view, in the late 17th century, and then again at the beginning of the 20th century. And so uh, that is the first memory, historical memory, that pops up uh, when we talk about Jews and the Ukraine. Of course, there's also the Hasidic movement that came out of uh, Western Ukraine, uh, which, of course, was very important and very fanciful and very religious in, in that area. So we have sort of, as usual, with Jews in exile, a mixed history. Well, needless to say, there is a long history, and like you said, the Jews in exile during the diaspora, you developed a, a very strong presence in the Ukraine, and I think also in Russia as well. Is that correct? Very much so. Jews during the centuries moved both east from Germany, Poland, etc., moving into Russia, and coming from the Turkish area where Svaradin come from. So, so they moved north. So you had sort of a mixture, for those who know that Jews are usually divided mainly into Svaradim, who come from either Turkey, Greece, North Africa, or the Arab countries, and the Ashkenazi Jews mm -hmm. that come basically from Western Europe 
and now, of course, in the 20th and 21st centuries in, in North America. Uh, and so there was a mixing up there. And I know, for example, and I was in Odessa recently, uh, I wouldn't say recently, three years ago. And so Odessa was an open port and Jews, Greeks and Russians poured into there for commercial ventures and, and etc. So uh, Jews built up a good deal of Russia's economic system before the communists and then also suffered from uh, persecution and, and discrimination, as, as we know, in many other places around the world. As most of our listeners know, and I'm sure you know, immigration to Israel began in earnest in the last century and continues into this century. And many Jews from Russia and Ukraine, like you said, the Ashkenazic Jews that are coming into the land. So there's quite a few people with Russia and Ukrainian backgrounds in Israel right now. Could you tell me how this crisis is being viewed there? Well, I can tell you that you're catching me after I've returned from volunteering still at the Menachem Begin Heritage Center, where I'm a research fellow. We have someone who comes from Kiev, which I think is better pronounced in Ukrainian as Kiev. But his wife has a cousin there, and they were trying to be in contact with people. He was in touch with Odessa because he is involved in maintaining the Jabotinsky Memorial in Odessa. And... We have other people from Kharkov, which of course is in the eastern Ukraine, is right now in the midst of the uh, fighting, and, and they were trying to get you know communications and, and, and talk to them and find out what's going on. And I'm on a Soviet Jewry list. You know, one of my his, my own personal histories is very active in the Soviet Jewry movement from 1964, which can date me if anybody quickly makes up the arithmetic there. But we've got letters from people who are in touch with people because the Jewish population now in Ukraine, which could probably is about a, close to 100,000 with 8,000 Israelis there. It's unfortunately a very small, relatively well-off community because they're involved in commerce and manufacturing and, and whatever, whatnot. And high tech, but the majority, of course, are older people, and they're stuck there. They can't get food. They're, they're dependent on the Chabad movement that has centers there. But you know, in a few days, they're going to run out of food and water. And if electricity goes, they're going to run out of heat. And Ukraine is not America, and it's not Israel. It's not a a wealthy, advanced country, except in a few of the cities. But there's a lot of countryside where it's going to be very terrible, even if they're not immediately affected by invading Russian forces. Well, my final question, a few weeks back on a program, you talked about Jews fleeing Ukraine, and you made mention of the fact that, well, it's good that we have a Jewish state of Israel, because both in Russia and Ukraine, Jewish people faced persecution just because they were Jewish and just because of their faith. And so the position of Israel, the only Jewish nation in the world right now, is so important. Do you see this? First of all, talk about that importance, but also do you see this as maybe a new influx of immigration from Eastern Europe? This is what Israel is all about. People have to understand that Having a national home doesn't mean that people live other places around the world. If you look at almost every other country, you have English and Irish in the States, Poles living in England, you have Greeks all over the place, but you have to have a home. 
You have to have a home mm. which generates not only culture and religion and, and social ideas, but protects you. And this is what Israel is all about for the Jewish people. And I, I thank you for the question because I just, a couple of hours ago, searching the internet for information, I saw a complaint from Arab countries, or shall I say pro-Arab propagandists. It's kind of difficult nowadays to discern who's exactly moving on the playing field here, complaining that Israel is exploiting the Ukrainian situation to increase its Jewish population. I mean, this is what Zionism said. We are a people. We deserve to have a safe homeland where people can run away to or to come home to, depending on their own personal decision. Uh, we don't force Jews to come here. Everybody makes his own decision. But if you are smart, uh, you should be in Israel because here we can defend ourselves. We have a special situation because Russia is basically on our northern border with Syria. So diplomatic-wise, Israel is sort of caught a little bit uh, in, a, in a thicket, to borrow a phrase from Genesis. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, avoid any complications and literally save lives. Saving lives is what we're all about here. Uh, in addition to a lot of other things in Israel and facing world Jewry. Excellent insight, Winky. I appreciate you coming on, giving your perspective, and there's some great perspective. And we do believe, and I know you do believe, that God had a hand in bringing you back into the land. And so I'm so excited and, and glad to hear you say that. And again, our listeners as well are excited that you are back there and are able to defend yourself and are able to provide a homeland for the Jewish people. Thank you very, very much for allowing me to talk with you and, and the listeners, and I hope uh, some of the basic messages get through. Thank you very much. Well, certainly this is a very important day for Prophecy Today weekend. We have been talking about these events since November when Bob McGinnis, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, predicted that Ukraine would be invaded by Russia. It's happening we're watching it where uh, the world is changing before our eyes, and we're living in historical moments, uh, both for the history of the world as we know it, the history of the United States, and the history of prophecy, his story from past, present, and future. Well, on today's program, we need to keep an eye on still other things that are happening around the world. And as we are looking at this, I had to get R.C. Murrell in here. R.C., welcome to the program today. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to be with you. Yes, R.C. Merle. Uh, he has a website, prophecytracker.org, and great articles on there. We've got uh, some of them on our website, but if you want to see more information, go to his website. R.C., so, uh, so many things are happening so fast right now, and what I've heard lately is something that you and I have talked about in the past, but uh, uh, Russia and China, their connection and the financial, if if. President Biden and his administration put sanctions on Russia. It looks like Russia is going to turn east to China and have Xi, and then you've got uh, Iran involved in this. Quickly, before we get to our topic today, what do you see in this? You know, Jimmy, this goes back to an article you sent me back in, in uh, December 17th, actually, mm. regarding China and Russia establishing independent financial systems. And that's the first I had seen of it. And you'd asked me to, to, to look into it, and I did. And I think we're seeing this playing out big time today. The article basically spoke about China and Russia agreeing to develop a shared financial structure to, to avoid the U.S. dollar in trade. This would deepen economic ties 
between both of these mm. countries. And then, and they could and then invite other countries to come into their little trade pack and, and, and really de-dollarize their economies. Uh, so it would be a dangerous thing for the United States. But that's been developing. And I think what we're seeing now is that starting to play out. It, it appears that this whole Ukraine incursion has been planned by these two men, um, that they knew what was coming and they prepared against U.S. sanctions by by forming this financial pact. Wow. Wow. And we're going to talk about this in the future. So we'll keep that on our on our list for you and I. I think this is something and uh, and I know that we've got some articles that we want to put up on our website that uh, are connected to yours uh, pertaining to this. Well, I do see in this invasion, and I see Russia reaching forward and outward, not just the Ukraine, but people have talked about Poland, Hungary, Romania. And you, uh, a recent article you sent me from the economist Zoltan Pozar, investment strategist at Credit Suisse, asked an interesting and frightening question. Did the Fed just set the stock market up for a crash. My question to you is, with all we have heard about money printing since the last financial crisis of 2008 and nine, to save the financial system, why would the Federal Reserve make a U-turn and crash the markets? Jimmy, the short answer is inflation has returned and it looks anything but transitory, which is what the Biden administration, the Federal Reserve, called it shortly after Joe Biden took office last January. What the Fed wants to do is slowly raise interest rates four to five times over the next year to create a mild recession and cool the economy. But with inflation running at 40-year highs, the Fed needs to take a lesson from Paul Volcker and Ronald Reagan, who solved runaway inflation in the late 1970s and early 80s. The solution came from raising interest rates above inflation, cutting government spending, and cutting taxes, none of which... Joe Biden or Jay Powell are even considering today. Mm. Zoltan Pozar is exactly right. The current plan will fail, and a market crash over the next year is a real possibility. Mm. I see in your post on Prophecy Tracker that it is Joe Biden's fixation on climate change that has kickstarted inflation and lines up perfectly with Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. You know, Jimmy, it it, it all appears to be planned. Uh, On his first day in office, President Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline, blocked oil drilling on public lands, and supported the Nord Stream 2 Russian pipeline that will send Russian natural gas direct to Germany, bypassing Ukraine. Now, that move, based on fighting climate change, Mm. launched inflation and lines up perfectly with Klaus Schwab and the Billionaires Club at the World Economic Forum to bring all nations to an equal status by ending capitalism. Now, in Schwab's own words about the Great Reset, I quote, steer the market towards fair outcomes. Two, ensure that investments advance shared goals such as equality and sustainability. Three, harness the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution to support the public good especially by addressing health and societal changes, end of quote. The hidden agenda, key words, fairer, public good, equality, sustainability, always results in in the protected governing class that live lavishly and an authoritarian government for the rest of us. Just look at Canada, which was once a quiet (laughs) democracy until Justin Trudeau became prime minister in 2015. Ah, oh, wow. So, R.C., are you saying that it is just a matter of time before the Federal Reserve loses control of the economy and that it's a plan 
to fit a bigger agenda? You know, Jimmy, there's an old adage. You, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, mm. meaning that it's impossible to achieve something without having bad or unpleasant side effects. To put the 1796 adage by Francois de Charette in today's language, crush volatility, spark a huge sell-off, and inflation will go down, which means assets deflate. It actually has to happen. So it could be that the Great Reset will lead to a crash of biblical proportions. What prophecies, R.C., do you see that apply to this scenario? You know, Revelation 6, 5, 6, the black horse rider carries scales with which to measure the comparative value of money and food. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius that do not harm the oil and wine. Jimmy, as you know, a quart of wheat representing one person's food for a day will cost a day's wages. But many will be forced to buy barley, a less expensive food usually used for animals. Three quarts of barley will also cost a denarius, but only the 1% will be able to afford the luxury of oil and wine. Affordable access to economic commerce will be strictly limited. Wow. So is this it? Are we on the verge of authoritarian government and hyperinflation? You know, just ask our neighbor to the north who froze Mm. bank accounts and arrested citizens engaging in a peaceful assembly. Another old adage, Jimmy, says that prophetic events cast their shadow before them. R.C., you are right on, you're spot on, and I can't wait to get back and talk to you about this whole Russia-China connection and the financial aspect of that, the economic collapse, and setting up the stage for a one-world economic monetary system to come onto place. R.C., your website, prophecytracker.org, thank you so much for being here. It's very important that you're with us and giving us this information. Jimmy, it's just great to be with you. Thank you for having me, and uh, God bless to you and Rick. Well, we need to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. This week, we will be focusing on the book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18, and the city of Babylon, the literal city of Babylon, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, on our website, there are so many items that can be used to help the body of believers, the the student of Bible prophecy, in his study of God's Word. That's right. There's a couple ways when you go to our website that you can continue to follow along, continue to study. We have prophecy study materials that we offer there. Um, We also put all of our audio up. So the audio that you're listening to right now, we divide that up, put it up, and even have new content throughout the week. And finally, we also keep track of the news stories. And what we try to do is find the best news stories from all the vast different resources that are around the world. And we'll post those on our page as well. If you want some brief, well-thought-out, vetted articles that you can read that can help you keep track of that situation, go to the website at prophecytoday.com. Well, it's time now that we do our legacy series. This is a legacy series that we started uh, after our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, passed away. And this week, our legacy series, we're going back to the book of Revelation. In our last study of the book of Revelation, we concluded talking about Babylon. Remember, we told you that the last thing that happens before Jesus Christ comes back to the earth will be Babylon is destroyed. Many of you may say that Babylon was destroyed 2,500 years ago as recorded in Daniel chapter 5. That was the destruction of the Babylonian empire, not the city of Babylon. In just a few moments, we're going to discuss the passages found in Revelation chapter 18 about how Babylon will be destroyed. 
However, we will begin this study by looking at two chapters in the book of Revelation. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 17 and 18. These two chapters cover the entire seven-year period of time known as the Tribulation. It's an intense time of judgment on the earth that happens right after the rapture of the church. In both of these chapters, we will see the word Babylon. Remember, Daniel chapter 5 is the record of the fall of the Babylonian Empire, not the city of Babylon. More on that in just a moment. Right now, let's begin our study with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the book of Revelation chapter 17. Right here, chapter 17 in the first three and a half years unfolds. That is a false church. Verse 5 of chapter 17 says, Babylon, the mother of harlots, established this false religiosity. It was a mother-son cult that was established 4,500 years ago at Babel. You might remember chapter 11, verse 4 of the book of Genesis. Let us build us a tower whose top may reach into heaven. That's a religious terminology. A tower topping and going into heaven? No way it was going to do that. Nimrod had a wife. Her name was Semiramis. They had a son. His name was Tammuz. They became the co-equal recipients of a mother-son cult evil worship. They're both talked about in the Bible. Jeremiah chapters 7 and 44 calls her the queen of heaven. And they celebrated with a very interesting agenda. They would make hot cross buns to celebrate her special holy day. They would take hard-boiled eggs and paint them up in beautiful colors and lay them out in the woods for the children to go find. And they did this on an ungodly holy day called Ishtar. Sound familiar? In Jeremiah 7, God says to Jeremiah, Don't even pray for these people that worship like that. Their son, Tammuz, he's mentioned in the book of Ezekiel chapter 8. When God brings Ezekiel back to Israel, shows him all the idolatry that's going on. He sees a convent of virgins worshiping Tammuz, the son of the mother-son cult. With the fall of the Babylonian Empire, 539 B.C., that mother-son cult changed its location from Babylon. You know where it moved to? Pergamos. Pergamos? Oh yeah, that's that third church in Revelation chapter 2. Pergamos is the location, and Judy and I could take you. We've been there a number of times. We could take you. We could show you the statues of the Roman emperors. They were called Caesars. That was their political title. But at that time in history, they were deified. And so they were given a religious title. You know what the religious title was? Pontifus Maximus. And that was too long. That means major keeper of the bridge. So they shortened it to pontiff. And that was too long, so they shortened it to pope. Now, don't you dare go out of here and say, I've just been preaching against the Catholic Church. I haven't said the word Catholic at all. I'm telling you what happened in history. And chapter 17 says, these people that worship this false religiosity will wear purple and scarlet. They will carry a chalice full of blood and a cross made out of diamonds and pearls. They have a convent of virgins that serve them. Oh, by the way, this false mother-son cult headquartered in Pergamos, and then they moved to Rome, Italy, which chapter 17, verse 9 says, And here is a mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads, and that's what they saw, the beast and the whore. That's the word used in the scriptures referring to a false church. What's the opposite of a whore? A beautiful virgin bride. That's what we are, the bride of Christ. He said, I saw it. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. 
the false church will be headquartered in the city of Rome in the first three and a half years. Look what's going to happen here. Verse 16. The ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They're going to wipe out the false church at the midway point of the tribulation. I told you when we looked at Ezekiel, Islam will be wiped out so that activity can take place and they wipe out this false church. Look at verse 17. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. God puts in the hearts of evil men to accomplish his will. What happens after the first three and a half years? The false church is destroyed. Where's the Antichrist go? Chapter 11 verse 1 says, John measure the place for the temple. What happens? The Antichrist walks into the Holy of Holies, claims to be God. That's the abomination of desolation. They put up a statue, Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 and following. They put up a statue. It's made to talk and it's made to move. And the world is caused to worship it by the miracles that the false prophet performs. And then where does the Antichrist go? Since there's a statue in the temple, he doesn't need to be there. He goes to Babylon, chapter 18. Look at chapter 18. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power in the earth, was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And you can study down through here and you can talk about the merchants. The merchants waxed rich. And with the destruction of Babylon, they weep. Look at verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of their torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour... Thy judgment has come. Verse 17, for in one hour so great riches have come to naught. How does he set it up? You know, Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, he says, every man, every woman, everybody who wants to buy or sell during this last three and a half years has to have a identification mark. We talk about the mark of the beast. What is it? 666? I don't know. It's on the forehead. It's on the back of the hand. Is it a computer chip? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I don't speculate. But it's an identification mark. How in the world could we get everybody to take an identification mark to buy or sell? I got an idea. Let's have a worldwide financial crisis. And let's have the G20 come together and set up a global economic structure. Which is exactly what G20, China, Russia, United Nations is calling for as we stand here. And so everybody takes a mark, an identification mark. They can buy or sell. And this is all headquartered in the city of Babylon. Well, I thought Babylon was destroyed. No, Babylon wasn't destroyed. The Babylonian Empire, chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, was destroyed. But I want to tell you, Ezra chapter 7 says, 75 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, Ezra was living in Babylon. He traveled five months to get to Jerusalem to become the one who reinstituted the temple practices. You ever read about Alexander the Great? 200 years after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, he headquartered his Grecian Empire in Babylon. Did you ever read about the apostle Peter? He was obedient to Jesus. Start here in Jerusalem, Peter. Go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Where did he go? He went to Babylon. It was the second most Jewish populated city in the world, second only to Jerusalem. Where do you get that from? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. Oh, Peter says, all the saints of Babylon salute you there in Jerusalem. Babylon has not been destroyed, I know. You know how I know? I watched CNN, and I saw the CNN cameras in Babylon the other day. It was a multinational headquarters for a peacekeeping organization. 21 nations headed up by the Polish. Babylon has never been destroyed. It must be destroyed. How do I know it has to be destroyed? 
Isaiah 13 and 14. Jeremiah 50 and 51. Ezekiel tells us Babylon will be destroyed. Revelation, it says right there, the last of the 21 judgments, Babylon is destroyed. Greatest earthquake to hit the face of the earth. Why? Because the Babylonians burned down the temple of God and took the implements and desecrated them. Chapter 5 of Daniel. Why do you think the United States military went into Babylon, Iraq? Because Babylon had to be prepared for prophecy to be fulfilled. Oh, what caused us to go in was Saddam Hussein. He was going into Jerusalem. You may not know this. Seven million man army. Saddam Hussein was going to lead into Jerusalem to liberate give it to the Palestinians. All of them had weapons training. 2,000 of them were volunteers to be suicide bombers. The Israeli Defense Force went on high alert. Judy and I were living there then. We were there for 39 scuds from Iraq. We knew Saddam meant business. And God, I believe in heaven, looked down and said, I never put this in Bible prophecy. Saddam cannot go to Jerusalem. I've got to stop him. But I think what he might have said was, I think I'll get me a cowboy and send him in there. He did. He sent cowboy George W. Bush in there. Took out Saddam to allow everything to happen. Benjamin Netanyahu said, Iraq is now putting in place a state-of-the-art cutting-edge telecommunication system. Oil is running out in Saudi Arabia and Iran. The greatest oil sources in the world are under the earth in Iraq. They've only touched 2%. They'll become the richest nation of the world. And that'll set the place for Babylon to be set up and the Antichrist. You know what the last thing that will happen is before he comes back to earth? The Lord destroys Babylon. And then he steps down on earth. Daniel, parents of Antichrist. Ezekiel, the temple in the tribulation. Revelation, Babylon in power, destroyed, and Christ comes back. And all three events could happen within days. We're here before it all starts, and we go to the heavenlies. These are the keys to unlocking God's plan for the future. Be a watchman, warn the people, and live in light of these truths. Revelation 16:18 says that the greatest earthquake to ever hit the earth will be used to destroy Babylon. It is stronger than any earthquake that has ever happened on this earth throughout all of history. This passage in Revelation 16, verses 17 to 21, is the prophecy of the destruction of Babylon. It's the last vile judgment, the 21st of the 21 judgments that happened during the tribulation period. And after this judgment happens, Jesus Christ comes back to the earth. Remember, in our study of keys to understanding God's plan for the future, we studied a quick survey of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. We saw in the book of Daniel the appearance of Antichrist. And I believe the Antichrist is alive today. We also studied the book of Ezekiel, and our attention was focused on the coming temple to be built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. 
This last study was on the book of Revelation, and our study today on the rise and fall of Babylon in our world today. We are alive at the time of these three events, the Antichrist, the temple, and Babylon. But remember, the rapture of the church will happen before any of these prophecies will be fulfilled. The rapture is the very next prophecy to be fulfilled, and it could happen at any moment, even today. Next week on the broadcast, we begin a brand new study entitled Alpha and Omega. In this study, we will be looking at the past and the not-too-distant future as we look at the beginning and the end of times in this dramatic study of Bible prophecy. This is one study that you do not want to miss. I'll start in the book of Genesis, where all of Bible prophecy begins, and end with another look into the future from God's prophetic word. Please be sure to join us in our study of Alpha and Omega. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. The study in the book of Revelation is so very important for the times in which we're living. We need to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the current events in light of God's prophetic word, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Early Thursday morning, Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Citizens sheltered in basements and subway stations amid missile strikes from land and from ships in the Black Sea. Russian forces surround Ukraine on three sides. Frank Stevenson with Transworld Radio says TWR contacts in Ukraine are safe and they still have open communication. Pray for peace. A contact in Ukraine told Stevenson, prayer is stronger than rockets. And doctors serving the Lord and local communities in Eswatini have a problem. They had such a high caseload last year of COVID patients that they forgot to reorder from World Missionary Press. A missionary and her husband are both doctors, and they've been giving out WMP scripture booklets to their patients for decades. Normally, orders take weeks to fill. Pray for supernatural efficiency so the order can be filled and sent to Eswatini. You've been listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, both you and I are news watchers. But in this thought process, what were you thinking as you were putting together the, the, the thoughts for our program today? Well, I, like everybody else, have been watching the news all week. Like you said, we are news watchers. And 
And I'm thinking, talking with Ken Timmerman, and and we've been talking for weeks about this whole process. And uh, you know, is Putin going to invade? Or is he just uh, negotiating? Is there a buildup? Mm. And I think one of the things that struck me with Ken, and basically with this whole situation, is the uncertainty. For as much information as we can get in the world right now with social media and the Internet, there's so much uncertainty. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. And I guess the biggest comfort, and if I if I wasn't a believer and if I wasn't a student of Bible prophecy and I didn't know how it all was going to end, the anxiety level would be through the roof right now. It sure would. You know, my phone's been blowing up with this whole invasion. Is Vladimir Putin... The Antichrist. And I keep telling people, no, he's not the Antichrist because the Antichrist, that first seal that's unveiled, is a man riding a white horse. He comes in peace. You're right. When we understand Bible prophecy, it does give us comfort that we understand what is taking place right now. There's a framework the Scripture gives us and lets us know exactly what's going to happen. We talked with uh, Colonel Bob McGinnis, and he gave us an excellent report uh, from a military perspective, former military man who still has involvement in the military. And one of the things that struck me is he was talking about China and Russia's relationship and the fact that China is, is going to look to take advantage of this situation, again, taking a page right out of Bible prophecy. Yes, We've mentioned often on this program that Revelation chapter 16 talks about the kings out of the east, and China is definitely one of those kings out of the east. And we see Russia and China, because of a decision that a world leader, uh, the president of the United States, made, Russia and China are now interlocked in this whole process, and they are joining as partners, and I believe that China will come to the rescue. We are seeing this very much interlocked. Well, we followed that with our Middle East News update with Dave Dolan, and a lot of good information there, especially looking at this Iran nuclear deal that's coming. And of course, we know that Iran has a role to play, just like those other nations that we've mentioned earlier here. Iran has a role to play in the in the end times. It sure does. You know, when you look at it again, it's mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Uh, they are making moves and their main desire stated by the president of Iran, all their religious leaders is to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And I've seen stories that Israel is already prepared and we're probably just days away or weeks away to a process by Israel of securing its security in the Mideast. And I think Really, the first domino is what we said last week, that Russia would invade Ukraine. And this is really giving the rest of the world, those evil empires, the go-ahead that the United States is not going to do a thing. And it really is letting them run free. Our good friend Wiki Madad also joined us today. And one of the things that struck me, and, and I think we've always said the greatest example of fulfilled Bible prophecy in our lifetime or in our generation was uh, the creation of the state of Israel. And much of that took place because of persecution that was faced during World War One, World War Two, and Jews fleeing that area and setting up a homeland in Israel. And that is, again, happening as uh, large Jewish populations in both Ukraine and Russia uh, are potentially headed towards Israel for an increasing aliyah or immigration to the land. Yes, uh, we see these decisions that are being made that are driving 
the Jews back to the land of Israel. I was there in 1984 when the first refusenik out of Russia, Anton Sharansky, when he landed in Israel and uh, and the nation of Israel. That was really the start of the fall of the Soviet Empire. And uh, we've seen uh, lots of Jews from the north, from Russia, from Ukraine. And, and this situation is really going to drive the Jews back to the land of Israel. And of course, always well prepared, Ron Morrow did an excellent job today, did he not? He sure did. And he talked about this economic system and we're, not only the United States, but Europe. We're fast approaching inflation, hyperinflation. And we're going to talk in the future about the swift sanctions that are going to be put on Russia, which is driving Russia towards China in a financial economic system. And that, of course, is what the Antichrist will do. When he comes on the scene, he's going to institute the mark of the beast. But Rick, there's an interesting story that you have, and I want to finish up our, our program today about the connection that we have with Ukraine. And that was with our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. And you have an interesting story to tell about the believers in Ukraine. Of course, I've heard dad tell this story before, but I uh, recently, because of all that's going on, I was talking with mom, with our mother, and she was letting us know about this story where they were in Ukraine. Uh, I think she said it was in the early 90s. Um, and they were there. The roads were rough. It was hard to traveling. This was you know, true missionary work, and he was going to church. And um, if you guys know my dad, my mom traveled with him everywhere. But on this day, the roads were so bad, and 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 the situation was—they didn't feel it was quite safe enough. So dad went alone with the pastor, and they drove several hours to a church. And he got there, and it was a big church, but there was only one bicycle outside. Mm -hmm. And all my dad would think was, well, I've gone halfway around the world, <laughs> and I'm not even going to have an audience. That would make you chuckle if you know our father. He got inside, and the place was packed out. So many people had come there, and they had walked. And they were in this, this Christian community. 25 years ago, this Christian community in the Ukraine was so excited and so hungry for the Word of God that they had packed that building out. And all that we're doing today, Rick, that's a great story. And as we are watching the people of Ukraine suffer, we need to keep in mind many people that are going to lose their lives. And let's keep in mind the Christian believers in that in those churches around the country of Ukraine, not only that, around Europe. And may we all understand that this world is only doing what God allows it to do. He's accomplishing his will because he has a final plan that he is setting up, and it's about ready to unfold with the rapture of the church. With all that we're seeing, Rick, we are seeing the stage is set. And the curtain is about ready to go up. And we just need to keep focusing on what's taking place and what the Bible says is taking place. Rick, thanks for doing all the hard work today and, and doing the interviews with all of our broadcast partners and talking to them about the news media. And I look forward to being with you next week. Jimmy, we'll be here. We'll be following the news all week. And again, I appreciate your exhortation to pray for the people of Ukraine. Folks, we're right there where the rapture is about ready to take place. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.